Here. Are all of us here? 
the ridiculous love Almighty God has for each of us and all of us. Mine is the church. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Dwell with us, Lord Jesus. Inspired by your grace and set free by your forgiveness, we pray that you would give us joy in our daily living, the courage to face adversity, and humility in our service. We pray in the name that is above all other names, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Testing. Ah, there we go. The reading this morning is from Psalm 136, and I have a job for you to do as well. After each line in the psalm, and I'll give you an example of the first line, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And your job is to say, For his steadfast love endures forever. Can you say that with me? For his steadfast love endures forever. All right, you'll repeat that several times. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords. Who alone does great wonders. Who by understanding made the heavens. Who spread out the earth on the waters. Who made the great lights. The sun to rule over the day. The moon and stars to rule over the night. It is he who remembered us in our lowest state. and rescued us from our foes. Who gives food to all flesh. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven. The word of the Lord. These past few years have been difficult as we seemingly have become more isolated here in the United States from the rest of the world. But God has called us to be the ones to love his world again. And there are ministries going on reaching out across the world. Links of chains reaching out to those who have need. Some links pray. Some links give. Some links make sandwiches for the hungry in Seattle. Some links make quilts for natural disasters and baptisms and graduates. And some are out doing the work out where the people are across the world, giving love in God's name to those who have need. <clears throat> 
Thank you, Ernie. It always comes from the heart. We know that when you sing, and we appreciate it very much. And thank you, Pastor Eric, for involving the congregation in that reading. Uh, I was sitting over there imagining that reading being done, uh, used that same way thousands of years ago in the holy city of Jerusalem, and as Jews would worship using those psalms from the Old Testament, the way it was functioning today, very much the same as it would have functioned thousands of years ago. Now, Mark Twain uh, said that there were two things that can never be taken from us, uh, the education that we have received and the memories of travel. Not a lot of memories of travel in the last year and a half, but those two things are always with us, whatever happens in our life. And it's very interesting, of course, to travel to far-off lands, to hear strange languages spoken, to experience cultures that are foreign to us, the smells and the foods, the clothing, the religious expressions. Now, the people of the world are very diverse. They are so very different. And yet, regardless of their differences, mostly they are the same. They are a part of the human family. Their smiles and their laughter are the same in any language. There's no need for interpretation when someone is smiling or laughing. Now, they may be covered in a burqa, or their skin may be of a different shade than ours, but underneath it all, they are very much like us. This morning, we're going to be doing a little storytelling. We're going to be immersing ourselves in the life and ministry of Jesus as it comes to us from the Gospel of Mark in our assigned reading for today. Now, we may be tempted to think that there is nothing for us to learn from these ancient encounters with ancient people. After all, these ancient people would not recognize any aspect of the life that you lead. Now, it may seem that we have very little in common with them then, but let me tell you something about these ancient ancestors. They loved their children. They knew brokenness. They knew betrayal. And when they were cut, they would bleed, just like you, just like me. And they went to bed at night. How did they go to bed at night? Well, they went to bed at night worrying, worrying about their children, or worrying about their future, or how they were going to provide enough food or shelter for their loved ones. And they were afraid. They feared death. They feared disability. They feared the Romans and the tax collector. In other words, they were very much like us, more in common with us than we might have thought. And then there is Jesus, who will take center stage in the storytelling this morning. The Jesus that we're going to see in our story is the very same Jesus that's going to meet you in your grief and in your fear, and in your embarrassment, and in your shame, and when you walk forward here in a few moments and put out your hands like beggars. Yes, the main characters now in our story will be opposites 
Opposites in almost every area of life. Now, you know what opposites are. So let's try. I'm going to give you a little description, and you give me the opposite. You did so well for Pastor Eric. Don't disappoint me. Ready? Opposites. Male. Female. Rich. Poor. Healthy. Sick. Honored. Yeah, okay. Shamed. Scorned. That's a little harder to come back quickly with that one. The two characters that we encounter this morning seem to have very little in common. A male who is rich and healthy and honored in the community and a female who is poor and sick and scorned in the community. Two characters that are total opposites in life and yet as we go through the story, I think that you will be amazed to see just how alike these two will look before we're finished. Now our story comes to us from the Gospel of Mark. We are barely five chapters in, and already Jesus has been healing. He's been casting out demons, helping a paralyzed man to walk, and calming a foaming sea. But i got to tell you, folks, Jesus has also been involved in some pretty questionable behavior. He had eaten with sinners. He had healed a pathetic, broken man. Get this, he did it on the Sabbath day. Both were clear violations of the law. And the religious folks, well, they were mightily offended by his behavior. Not so with the common people. No, the common people loved Jesus. But this made the religious leaders all the more jealous and all the more outraged by the behavior that he was modeling for them. So what did they do? They accused Jesus of working for the devil. Yes, only a devil would eat with sinners and claim to be a rabbi at the same time. Only a devil would heal a man on the Sabbath because a holy man would know better. He would let the man suffer for a few more days and heal him legally. The highly respected religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, were tired of this law-breaking Jesus, so they decided to kill him. Yes, there was a commandment against killing, but don't confuse them with the facts. Two chapters earlier, two chapters before this encounter, the religious leaders got together and determined that Jesus must die. And they set out and made their plans accordingly, plans that would ultimately lead him to a cross. Meanwhile, back in the Galilee, Everywhere that Jesus traveled, the crowds were now gathering. They followed him to the seashore. They brought their sick to him. They pressed in on him to touch his hand or to catch his eye. The people were amazed and they were full of hope as they followed the rabbi from the Galilee. One day, Jesus and his disciples needed to get away, at least for a little bit. So they got in a small boat. And they sailed across the Sea of Galilee. It was only a couple of miles, but it did allow them a chance to catch their breath, a few hours of peace and quiet. But when they arrived at the other side, it was a totally different story. You see, the word had spread quickly throughout the region that Jesus was coming that way. And before they were even out of the boat, the crowd had gathered there to greet him. And as Jesus stepped onto the shore, the people began to press in on him. Now, they all had their reasons to be there. 
They were there out of desperation, some out of curiosity, some from illness, some were just seeking a word of grace in a brutal world. Jesus would meet them. He would talk with them. He would touch them. It was just another day in the office for Jesus. But then, quite suddenly, there was a great commotion. A great commotion running through the crowd among the people. And what happened? The crowd began to part like the Red Sea. The common people were stepping aside. And a man was coming towards Jesus. And this was not just any man. He was surrounded by his own entourage. And the people recognized him. He was well-dressed. He had fine rings on his finger. He was one of the leaders of the synagogue. He had a name, and they all knew his name. His name was Jairus. The crowd held their breath. This was a man of great power. This confrontation could be the end of Jesus. Perhaps Jairus had something on him. The people stepped aside And then something truly amazing happened. Jairus fell on purpose. Jairus fell at the feet of Jesus. More than that, the Greek words say that he threw himself down at the feet of Jesus. Now this was a curious and humbling act. And then Jairus began to beg to Jesus. Now many of those in the crowd... They were accustomed to begging, but none of them were accustomed to seeing a powerful man like this, a leader of the synagogue, kneeling in the dust, begging. He pleaded with Jesus, saying, please, Jesus, help me. My daughter is sick. She's very sick. In fact, I fear that she's about to die. And so I beg of you, Jesus, please come with me to my home. Come to her bedside and lay hands on her that she may be made well. Wow. What an amazing turn of events. The religious leaders, remember, were Jesus' only enemies. And they despised him, and they were threatened by him, and they wanted him dead. And now one of their very own, one of the top dogs of the synagogue, was begging Jesus for help. Jairus was afraid. He was desperate. He had tried everything, and his prayers, too, seemed to be unanswered by God. His money, his position, it could not protect his daughter. And the doctors had made every effort, but they could not cure her. And Jairus was now desperate, and he could not imagine for even a minute going forward in life without his little daughter. Now the text says that she was 12 years old. Not exactly little, but in the eyes of her father, she was still his little girl. Perhaps you can relate. No matter how old they get as parents, our children are always in some way our little ones, are they not? We still pray for them. We still want to protect them. We still want to help them. There's still these gifts from God. And so we have this moment of high drama and great 
pain as this powerful but broken man falls in the dust and begs at the feet of God's only son. And Jesus tells Jairus to get up. Jesus tells Jairus that he would go with him to his daughter's side. And off they go. But but as they're walking, they're not alone, remember. The crowd continues to follow along. Some wanted just to see how this was going to play out. They were interested. But others were still desperate themselves. They needed help themselves. And others continued to cry out, Jesus, please help me. Help me. I need your help too. Now in the crowd that day, there was a woman. A woman who had suffered terribly for a very long time. She had been plagued with menstrual bleeding for 12 years. An unpleasant condition, to say the least, but it was much more than that. For this condition made her an outcast in the community. She was considered to be unclean. And in the eyes of the religious people, she was to be avoided then at all costs. No respectable religious person would dare come into contact with her for anyone who was even touched by her would be rendered unclean themselves. Imagine the suffering. Over 12 years she had been suffering. And she'd sought the help of every doctor in the area. And now her bank account was empty and her insurance had run out. She had tried everything and her condition was not getting better. In fact, it was getting worse. She was nearly out of hope. She was afraid now. She was afraid as she approached Jesus for a whole lot of reasons. Jesus was, remember, in the company of one who would certainly judge her very harshly as an unclean woman. This was a dangerous place for her, but she was desperate, and her despair was apparent, and so when the opportunity presented itself to her, she reached out. She reached out towards Jesus, who, remember, was arm-in-arm walking with Jairus. Now, this was a bold move by this woman, this nameless woman, I might add. She had no name in the story. And she dared not address Jesus face to face. So what did she do? She just reached out and touched the hem of his garment. And miraculously, she was cured. She was cured. Her blood flow stopped. Don't ask me to explain it. That's why they call it a miracle. Jesus turned to the crowd. He turned to the crowd and he looked for her. You see, he had felt this touch. He had felt the touch of an unclean woman, and he looked for her because he wanted to do more for her. His work was not quite done with her. She had been cured, yes, but he wanted to talk to her. He wanted to show compassion for her. He wanted to publicly hold her And thus hold her up in a community that had held her down for the past 12 years. She now fell at his feet, trembling in fear. She fell just as Jairus 
had moments earlier. And Jesus said, get up. And he lifted her up out of the dust. Jesus talked to this woman, and as he talked to her, what do you suppose was going on in Jairus' mind? Oh yeah, he was impatient. He could care less about the holiness code, the fact that this unclean woman had touched Jesus made no difference to him. Now he just wanted Jesus to get on with it, to hurry along to his daughter's side. He was fidgety. He was anxious. His little girl lay ill and time, precious time, was being wasted. And then it all changed. Some of Jairus' friends approached him rather quickly. They had come from his house and they said, your daughter is dead. Leave Jesus. He can do you no good now. Come home with us. Come home to be with your wife. She needs you. His little girl was dead. Those words cut to his heart. It was as if his life, or at least a very large part of his life, had ended too. The agony, the despair, the shock registered on his face and tears welled up in his eyes. And Jesus turned to him. He looked him in the eye and said, do not fear, only believe. Well, they hurried away, leaving the crowd behind now as Jairus was dazed and despondent, walking along with Jesus. Let's be very clear, he did not believe, but he hoped. He had some hope that if there really was a God in heaven, that perhaps this Jesus could help his daughter. And when they arrived at the house, As you might imagine, it was a place of unspeakable grief. There was weeping and cries of anguish. And Jairus embraced his wife who was inconsolable. Their life had been shattered. Their hopes and dreams had been dashed by death. They held each other there. The grief was absolutely suffocating. And then it was broken. Jesus spoke up saying, why do you weep? The child is not dead, but only sleeping. Now many at the house who moments earlier had been weeping were now laughing. They were laughing at Jesus, this know-nothing country rabbi from Nazareth. And the doctors who were there, they knew she was dead. Her body was motionless. It was cold to the touch. There was no pulse. The doctors did not know anything about Jesus, but they knew their profession. They knew death when they saw it, and this little girl was dead. Jesus put them all out of the house. And he put his arms around Jairus and a mother who had just lost her daughter. And together they entered the room, and there they saw her lying on the bed, lying there quiet and still. And Jesus knelt beside her side and took her hand in his own and said, Little girl, get up. And immediately she got up and began to walk. And there was joy and there was amazement in the household. And Jesus said, Don't make a fuss. Just give her something to eat. 2,000 years ago, A girl who was 12 years old was given life. She was raised from the dead. And a woman 
who for 12 years had been suffering and scorned, was healed, given new life. Might we even say that she too was raised from the dead. We've come to God's house this morning. We've come together looking for Jesus. Like Jairus, we are afraid and Sometimes we are desperate in our lives. We tried everything else, and yet somehow our lives are just less than complete, less than we had hoped for. We tried everything, and yet our children are still dying. The environment's still warming up. Our relationships are still broken. Now, today we've come to God's house, and like that unnamed woman, we are afraid. And like that unnamed woman, we are desperate too. We tried everything, and yet there is precious little healing in our own bodies. And we are not welcome in every social circle. And we have a very hard time forgiving ourselves. We hear voices in our head of judgment and shame. No, we are here today looking for Jesus because we need to be here. The love and forgiveness of this place provides us with a rhythm of good news in a pandemic and sometimes cruel world. This place provides us with a rhythm of good news that will sustain us in the darkest and most difficult days of our lives. Yeah, we are here because we need to be here. Now, we may think that we are so much more advanced than those ancient ancestors. After all, we have been enlightened by science and social media. We pretend to be strong. We take pride in our own independence. But we are not independent. No, we are fragile and we are weak. And we are insecure, just like every person who ever came before us in history. And we need each other. And we need Jesus. Leaders of the church, shamed men, scorned women, broken and diseased humans, frightened children, one and all, we lay in the dust of this world and we beg for grace. We beg for hope. We beg for love. And we meet the same Jesus from 2,000 years ago. Jesus picks us up and invites us to this meal. Invites us to a meal where Jesus is the host, the only host, and we are all honored guests. And no religious people get to make the guest list and decide who is worthy or unworthy to be at this table. Only Jesus invites. And after 15 months of being away from this table, Jesus invites you this morning to come. And that is a word of grace. And that is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm going to invite you to stand, pull out your song sheet, and we're going to sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness.
lead us into petition for an everlasting God. In our response, hear our prayer. Let us call by our hearts and our minds as we come together in prayer. God of miracles and hope, we bring our thanks and praise as we gather this day. Your creation is stunning, your leading is sure, and your steadfast love endures forever. You have been our God from all generations. It is right to give you thanks and praise. Everlasting God, hear our God of justice, hear our cry of peace. As your servants, let us with patience, kindness, and truthful speech challenge the leaders of all governments as we strive to successfully defeat discrimination, injustice, inequity, and physical danger for all your people. Everlasting God, God of hope, hear our cry as we claim the promise that you are with us in all things, in all situations, in easy times and hard, in times of plenty and times of want. Lighten the burden of all who grieve or struggle and welcome those who have died as they transition from this life to the next. We lift up these names either silently or out loud. Everlasting God, God of restoration, hear our cry as we pray for this summer season to be one of renewal and rest, safety and sanity, and connection with loved ones. Visit your people and pour out your strength and courage upon us that we may make you welcome not only in our concern for others, but by serving them generously and faithfully in your name. Everlasting God, we acknowledge your wonderful deeds and offer you thanks from generation to generation through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you.
okay, settle down. Everyone likes being together again. It's hard to, yeah. It's a beautiful thing and it's wonderful to see people reconnecting and being back together. Uh, thanks be to God, thanks to all the scientists, <laughs> miracle workers who have allowed us all to be back together safely again. Uh, take that good energy uh, into the gym or out in the courtyard where it's probably toasty warm. Uh, we have nice hot coffee for you. Uh, we should have iced the coffee probably today, but we do have coffee and we do have some cookies, uh, and other things. Um, and we also have a uh, cake uh, for Don and Jan Allen. And Don and Jan, yeah. We are, uh, we're celebrating three anniversaries at this service. And if you add them all up, they've been married 192 years. <laughs> now you do the math on that, it's a lot, divided by three. Uh, so Don and Jan Allen have a, a birthday cake uh, in for us, or not birthday cake, anniversary cake, uh, because on June 23rd, 1956, at First Methodist Church in Squim, they were married, that's 65 years ago, and so we're celebrating 65 years for them. Now, uh, George and Carol Fisher will come the next service, and they, this will be their 64th wedding anniversary that they'll be celebrating on June 28th, that would be tomorrow. And when they were celebrating their first anniversary, Bill and Kay Anderson were married in Duluth, Minnesota. So Bill and Kay are back there, wave at us. And uh, Don and Jan are waving at us. They're in the back row back there as well. So let's just, uh, let's just hold our hands up for just a moment and have a prayer. Good and gracious God, we give you thanks for Jan and Don and their shared life together of 65 years. We give you thanks for George and Carol and their 64 years of marriage, and we pray in thanksgiving for Bill and Kay Anderson as well, 63 years of marriage. Uh, they have lived among us as uh, great examples for us of servant leaders in our parish, and we pray a continued blessing on their lives, their marriage, their family, their children, great-grandchildren, and all uh, connected to their uh, family tree. We give you thanks for them and pray blessings upon them in Jesus' name. Amen. Also, a lot of uh, birthdays you'll see in nobody on this particular day, but look and see those birthdays in the bulletin, and you can reach out to those people as well. I want to give a shout-out, too, to John Steele. Did you notice the birdhouse as you were walking in, the new birdhouse? No, you didn't. Okay, you know where the angel is that was carved during the pandemic, um, and uh, the, the angel is right out here. And next to the angel, right towards the entrance, is a brand new birdhouse. Uh, and it's a beautiful birdhouse. John uh, redid our church sign at the other end of the, on the watered entrance, and then he decided to make a birdhouse for us. So take a look at that birdhouse, and we're really thankful for John uh, for that. Um, I'm going to call on Deacon Amy at this time. She's got a word or two for us. Good morning. Just a couple of quick words. Um, our Tuesday afternoon, middle school youth group continues to meet, and this week we'll be meeting in person. I'm guessing we'll have some water games going this week, as it's going to be a hot one. Um, and then Vacation Bible School coming up the first week of August. There's lots of great information, uh, volunteers, sign up, 
forms, registration forms, all of that in the gym. Come see me with any questions. We're looking forward to a great week back together on campus this summer. Thanks. Thank you, Amy. And the uh, angel, Sharon Eikhoff, made the angel. Wave at us, Sharon. She made the angel for us out there, so thank you for that. Okay, a word about communion. The most important word you've already heard, all are welcome, always. Doesn't matter if you're here for your first time. Doesn't matter if you've never communed before. There's only one host to invite you to come. The rest of us just work here. We set the table. Uh, so you're invited to come. Now, just a quick primer on how we're going to be doing Holy Communion. First of all, as always during the pandemic, self-select. If you are not comfortable coming forward, you don't need to come forward. You can stay uh, right where you're at. Um, if uh, our Lutheran teachings tell us if we receive one of the elements, you've received them both. So if you're comfortable taking the grape juice, but not the wafer, then that's fine to come forward for that as well. So what's gonna happen? The ushers are going to help you to get to the center aisle, as usual. You'll come down uh, two different rows, this section and this section, you'll come down as normal, center aisle, but be like a fairy line merge, so be polite, um, <laughs> because everyone's gonna receive in the middle. So you'll receive the host, just hold out your hand, make a little uh, throne there, and the wafer will be put in your hand, and then you'll go ahead and consume that. You'll receive an individual glass with grape juice, and you can consume that, and then you drop the individual glass and the baskets in the end as you go back. So it's really not that complicated, but we haven't done this in a long time, and this is a little different. We also have gluten-free. If you're gluten-free and you come up, let me know as you come forward, and we'll hold that uh, little plate out for you. You can take your own off of that plate. So that's kind of, uh, that's how we're doing it this week as we ease back into this. But, uh, you know, we're just so happy that we can do this again to uh, share this feast of victory of our God um, once again. Anything else? Go to the order here. Okay. Okay, well, I would invite you to stand then as we move to the celebration of Holy Communion. We gather now around a table that welcomed our parents and grandparents, a table that welcomes Christians of all denominations and all colors across the globe this day. As we gather, we remember then a Thursday night in an upper room in Jerusalem. It was Holy Week. It was the night in which he was betrayed. And our Lord Jesus Christ took the bread and gave thanks. He broke the bread and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. And again, after supper, he took the cup and gave thanks. He gave it for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this for the remembrance of me. As often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, Jesus Christ has promised to be present with us. Let us pray now, as Jesus taught us, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. These are the gifts of God for you, the people of God. All are welcome. Please come. You may be seated. There are also some communion hymns you can sing along to as we commune.
prodigal daughter came home. <laughs> now may the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ strengthen you and keep you now and always in God's grace. Welcome home, my friends. Welcome home. I would invite you to stand now and receive the benediction. Fed and forgiven as you depart from this place, go out those doors to make a difference in the world wherever God has called you. And as you go, may God bless you and keep you. May God's face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May God look upon you with favor and give you peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And our sending hymn, Lord of all hopefulness. Is that right? Yes. Okay.